Welcome to this week's episode of Thriving Through Menopause with me, Clarissa. We're going to talk about a topic that I'm hearing so much more about in the perimenopause and menopause world, and that's neurodivergency. But some of us might know what that was, and usually I thought it was boys like my friend's son, Mohammed, that you know jumped off the garage in my in my house in Rose Bay, and I was like, what are you doing up there? <laughs> I used to roll my eyes when he came to play. But of course, we know that it is much bigger than that, and, and sometimes just not seen and recognized and diagnosed well in women. So I connected with today's guest, Shazi Zabi, to have this conversation. Welcome, Shazi. Thank you. Nice it's to lovely be. to have you here. I mean, you are a clinical nurse consultant. You're a certified mental health nurse and counseling psychotherapist. And this has been a big part of your life because you are neurodivergent and is, in your own words, hormonal as hell. So you're the right person to have here yeah. on this conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm in the right place. Yeah, I'm autistic. I'm ADHD. I have dyscalculia. I have two autistic ADHD children and ADHD husbands. So ask me anything about neurodiversity. I'm your person. And um, I've also worked in the field for about 25 years just by the way. So you know a thing or two. I mean, you're very well known as, as, a, as a real expert in this area. So I'm so delighted that you're here. Let's start with what is neurodivergency in women? Because it shows up quite differently, doesn't it, Chassie? It does. Um, there is a whole book called the DSM. There's two books. There's ICD-10 where we pathologize everything and you know from a, uh, a medical model we can pathologize everything so you, know, you have to fit these certain criteria to be diagnosed with these disorders now i don't see neurodiversity as a disorder neurodiversity is just a different neurology so we might it's, it's a difference between um if you're as old as i am a beta max and a vhs <laughs> If you're a younger person, it's the difference between a PlayStation and a Nintendo Switch. They're, they're different operating systems, they're different um, ways of being, but none of them are disordered. So the word disorder is a bit of a, bit of a, a red herring there. Um, yeah, and in women especially, uh, it's missed. It's missed a lot because, because the diagnostic criteria is aimed at boys and men, women are missed throughout our lives. Um, I got my diagnosis very late in life. Uh, many women do get their diagnoses very late in life. Mostly after their children are diagnosed first and we get our diagnoses. We think, ah, that, that looks familiar and going to seek a diagnosis. Or things come crumbling down when our hormones change. And that's, that's where we all begin. And there's a lot, there's a lot more women coming out um, around our age group. I'm 46. There's a lot more women coming around in their mid-30s, 40s and get diagnosed with maybe ADHD, but autism is coming in as well. And they go together quite, quite nicely. So you could be diagnosed with both of them or have traits of both of them alongside um, other learning differences. So there's dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia and dyspraxia. dyspraxia yes. Well. Yeah. So, so really it's, it is, like you said, it's not a disorder. It's just your brain is different. That's what's just on a different track. And how does it yeah. show up in women? Because I have heard that, it, you know, 
women don't get diagnosed, not just because the tests are not right, but because there are di- it's just different the way we go about it. We think of, as I said, Mohammed jumping off the roof, but girls don't always do that or women don't go as sort of in that way. It, it looks, looks different. different. I, I've got one of these yes. children and I watched it firsthand yeah. develop. Um, my boy is running, jumping off roofs. My daughter is um, selective mute. She's very quiet. Um, she's a, a fauna. So instead of fight, flight, which the boy said to do, we fall yeah. and freeze. So we're extra nice to people to try and, you know, ingratiate ourselves. We all mask. Um, everybody masks anyway, but, you know, autistics and ADHDers mask a hell of a lot more to, just to try and get through their day. So by the time we get to, you know, menopause time when things start crumbling anyway, the masks start crumbling off. Yeah. So, so women are, are, are more pleasing. I've heard that women sometimes are a bit more like organized and studious and, and these sorts of these sorts of traits is that right we had to become that way um some of us aren't i'm not very organized <laughs> to be honest with you um i have a lot of organizational help especially since i hit perimenopause but um g- girls especially and um that there, there's a, a a male presentation that is similar to the female presentation and not forgetting, you know, trans mask and trans femme people yeah. as well. Um, women, uh, people signed female birth also have the similar the traits as well. We are, uh, we, we get on with things, you know, it's our, it's our, the way of being is we just get on with things and we get on things to such extent until we crumble and break. And that's the point where we go, we get, we might get diagnosed with, anxiety or depression or we're having children and our hormones change and we think oh this is must be part of pregnancy um and but it doesn't go away or we reach menopause and things crumble even more yes so we've talked quite a bit there and sort of touched on hormones shazzy what is actually going on what is the hormonal uh component of this that can make it go off the rails and show up? Estrogen. When you get older, your body makes less estrogen. Um, and that kind of affects everything else, increasing, um, exacerbating any symptoms that you would have had before. Um, so I deal a lot with people who have premenstrual dysphoric disorder and people who are already diagnosed with ADHD, their symptoms worsen during the, the follicular phase. So day 14, suddenly anxiety will hit and then mood will, will plummet. Um, <laughs> just happened to me that estrogen leads to, um, estrogen levels drop and that leads to cognitive defects. So memory loss and word retrieval, like I just yeah. had there. Um, those kind of issues become more pronounced. So, you know, even for the average person, I'm not going to say normal, the average person will have memory deficiency and word retrieval issues and cognitive defects. But then you take somebody who is already ADHD and it's a hundred times worse. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, we all have had, and I, well, I would say, I think it's the most common thing I hear is this brain fogginess, but clearly this is kind of taken to another level with you're being neurodivergent and you can't remember. And of course that has huge impacts, doesn't it, on our 
life, huge impacts on our working lives specifically. For autistics as well, the, the autistic experience is amplified so much. Um, already we've got communication issues and sensory um, frightening issues, stress reactivity. And then if you think of the average menopausal experience, you've got all those things anyway. So imagine an autistic person who has light sensitivity and then put menopausal light sensitivity on top of that. It's it's remarkably impact, impactful on and very distress life. distressing as well because you may have been able to have coped, wouldn't you, with maybe you're living okay with your autistic, your ADHD traits, but then suddenly this is like someone's turned up the dial. And you must wonder what is going on, particularly as we're already pretty much dismissed with respect to menopause in the medical community. But this is it's like putting it on steroids, isn't it? It is. And, you know, add to it children and workloads and, you know, all the other things that we as women do take on. It it, it does exacerbate things. Um, the, the suicide rate at the moment for postmenopausal women is the highest it's been since 1996. It's, you know, it's jumped up 6%. So, you know, that's the ages, you know, 40, 45 to 54-ish yeah. uh, more suicidal than ever. And, and we read... There is a link to neurodivergency and suicide. Has that been shown, Shazi? That has been shown. There is a tenfold, I think, no, sorry, ninefold increase in suicidality in neurodivergence women, specifically women, than in any any other population. Part of it you hit on the you hit nail on the head when you said about um, our symptoms being dismissed. That's a huge part of it because our symptoms are dismissed and we can be misdiagnosed and we're left to live in exhaustion, anxiety, depression, and of course the weight gain that goes with menopause and not know what's going on with our bodies. And of course then just prescribing antidepressants, which is very commonly handed out, isn't the right treatment, is it, for neurodivergency? Not always and and not always with the symptoms that we have. I've, I've noted more people are being given um, atomoxetine, which is actually an ADHD non-stimulant mm-hmm. stimulant, but it can help with concentration and memory loss. And um, even if you have no history of ADHD, it still helps with those things. Yes. So even the women who aren't the ADHD or have no history of ADHD are being helped with their focus and concentration with, with, with ADHD kind of medication. Oh, how interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> not what we not what we expect at all to happen. But you talked, talked no, about yeah. the stress reactivity as well. Because I've heard uh, from a friend of mine, I mean, she's now in her 60s and she's autistic. And she said like the rage was unbelievable. Well, if you think about the overstimulation that, that occurs anyway, when progesterone, progesterone rises and estrogen drops and we become overwhelmed, you put an, an autistic person in that situation and we're still working, we still have our children, we still, you know, we're going about our daily lives. We're not, ex- <laughs> we're not, we're eating junk food, we're eating out, um, we're not sleeping properly, we're, our houses are a mess. I don't know about you, but my house is a mess. Uh, we skip breakfast. We do all the things that we shouldn't be doing. Um, and we need to clean up our lives a bit. You know, there, there's a holistic side to this as well. It's not all medication. Um, most of it's not medication. Most of it is, you know, 
general self-care and looking after your body. You know, I've, you've probably had people talk about these things yes. before, but you know, I'm a big fan of, I, I think I told you before, of seat yeah. cycling. Yeah. I find seat cycling really, really helpful at balancing my hormones yeah. Tell me a little bit more about seat cycling and, and, and what it is for the, so the listeners can hear too. It sounds really nabby pamby hippie stuff. And before I discovered it, I thought exactly the same thing. And then I, I tried it. I think it was about 10 years ago now. And it, you know, actually balanced out my hormones. It actually worked. There's not a lot of science behind it. There's getting, there's more science coming. But um, it's the practice of eating specific seeds during times, the phases of your cycle. Um, and, and you can use this post-menopause too. So you don't have to have a cycle to be able to use it strategy but basically day one to 14 you take uh, one or two tablespoons of ground pumpkin and flax um <clears throat> so in the follic follicular stage of your cycle and in days 15 to 28 um you take uh one to two tablespoons of uh, sunflower seeds and sesame and what that does is in days one to 14 it improves your estrogen uptake but also doesn't increase excess estrogen um, and day 15 to 28 supports the progesterone. There's also a bit of zinc thrown in there as well, which helps support our hormones. Oh. People don't have a cycle. Um, what I tell them to do is follow the moon. Um, or they, you know, as long as you start on a two week cycle anyway, it doesn't matter if you've got no cycle. Um, you can still do this, but you know, you just go every two weeks instead. There's heaps about it on the internet. Google seed cycling, uh, there's a million pages on it. Wow, and that's actually the first time that when you mentioned it, it was the first time I'd heard about it. I was like, this is first. Oh, yeah, really? I'd never heard about it before. But, I mean, obviously I'm familiar with women eating phytoestrogens, uh, like flax. Yeah. Because um, we had Marion Stewart on the show. And... It was game changers, absolutely game changers. Wow, how fascinating. And And... and What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Is that something that you're working with with your patients and your clients to improve their moods as well through the cycle? Yeah, so I, I get a lot of um, women and females in in um around our age group and a little bit younger and it their first time diagnosis and they're like ah i made hd now what do i do because nobody actually gives you a handbook and say hello welcome to neurodiversity here's here's your guide so i kind of help people through that um it's, it's a bit of a journey because you have a bit of a uh, a shocker in a way because you know you do have that concept that adhd is for little kids and boys and running around and you know, it, it isn't like that in, in most of us. In fact, ADHD, I'm, I'm, I'm quite stagnant. I don't run around at all, but the, the running around happens up here. My yeah. brain goes into yeah. overdrive and I'm very hyperactive in my mind. So that then affects my sleep, which affects the rest of my day, my mood, and then my hormones and my cycle. And you can go into a bit of a tailspin yeah. from there. So women aren't expectant of that. And when we hit menopausal stage, the perimenopause, which is, you know, a very shaky stage in our yes. cycles. Um, yeah, things go a bit more haywire and women are like, hang on a second, my child's just been diagnosed, what if? And they get diagnosed and there's a huge dysphoria with that as well because, you know, yay, I'm ADHD, but also 
I'm ADHD and I've missed out on all the things I could have been and done. So that, you know, there's, there comes, it's a bit of a, I describe it as a roller coaster rather than a train ride people go through when they're first Yeah, I can imagine because you've probably been wondering why you're different for, for, for maybe long, yeah, whole, whole life. Um, you know, my, my stepson says it's and like also, having all the tabs of the computer open at once sometimes. <laughs> absolutely is exactly like that. And, you know, medication can help to a certain extent. There is a spectrum of ADHD of as well. Um, so, you know, people can have, may need a lot of medication. Some people may not need medication at all and be able to manage. And there's, you know, there's, there's coping mechanisms. You know, there's a lot of ADHD coaches. I'm an ADHD yeah. coach around um, at the moment. You know, we we can use cleaners. You know, we we can use tools. We can use assistants. Um, there's a lot of virtual assistants around at the moment that I find really wow. helpful. Um, we need to, we need to, overcome the challenges that we have and become uh, what I'm looking for become um, knowledgeable in our ourselves yeah. um, very into um, being your authentic self and we're not women generally aren't authentic selves and we hit a certain age and then we go that's it I'm fighting in public <laughs> or I've had a baby now everything's changed it's um, so really <laughs> But we, we aren't. We zip ourselves up. Yeah. We put our makeup on. We are different people at work and until we come home and we're our normal selves in our, you know, soft PJs and heavy blankets and we can, you know, let it all go. Yeah. But until we are our authentic selves all the way through our lives, we're going to have this roller coaster. We're going to have these moods. Mm-hmm. And we need to learn about these things that could happen to us or be part of us that we haven't actually recognized before. So. Getting to know yourself is really quite an important dynamic. Yeah, it, it sounds to, it sounds to me like you know the test is only one one part of it, and really this there are so many different coping mechanisms that we can learn and be ourselves that can really help us. Um, yeah. So and lower levels of estrogen don't just cause you know ADHD or autism; they can cause you know, severe mood they disorders. They can. So what role does HRT potentially play in helping neurodivergent women? HRT may be helpful for some people. From other people, it may make things a hell of a lot worse. So, yeah, if you already have a sensitivity, autistics are sensitive to anything that goes in their bodies. So um, hormones, uh, not natural hormones, lost my words, <laughs> Um, might not be the answer for some people. You also have to rule out thyroid issues. Um, thyroid issues can play a big part in moods. Um, so, you know, ruling out, um, having all the blood tests, ruling out all the other stuff first is really important. Uh, as we get older, so do our brains. So, you know, our, our brains become more easily overwhelmed anyway. So dialing down what we're doing, if that's at all yeah. possible. We, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do yeah. do we? But dialing down what we're doing and overcoming challenges, um, you know, I, I have to, like, for example, with my life, I can only talk about myself, really. I, I could talk about my clients, yeah. but no way. Um, but for me, if I, I, I don't make phone calls at all. I just don't do it. Um, phone calls cause me a lot of anxiety and stress. So I have my phone on, you know, automatic answer. There's, there's no answer phone. So I don't have to check messages. Otherwise, there'd be millions of messages. 
and it, it just says, sorry, there's no one here. So they have to either text me or email me, which I can cope with much better. That is, that is my top trick <laughs> for today. Drop any answer phones. If you do have to make phone calls, you know, make them in the morning when your brain is bright yes. and breezy. Because by the time the afternoon comes, like it's afternoon here now, and you can see I'm already getting a bit, um, losing my words and yeah. getting a bit flighty. So by the afternoon comes, you're not going to be able to focus on those phone calls or, you know, you're going to um, not not know what to say or get quite anxious. Wow, how interesting. I mean, that's a really great coping mechanism. But I think that was an interesting point there, Shazi, that HRT, like it is in many other aspects, isn't a panacea here. It can work for some, but doesn't necessarily work for everyone. It can do the complete opposite to some people. It could drive some people very crazy. Um, the increase in hormones can be very harmful to some people. So you have to have a good gynecologist and a good psychiatrist on your side if you have any mental health issues or neurodivergency. Yeah, and as you said, I mean, there can be some really severe mood disorders in in perimenopause. And we know that women who have issues like bipolar or schizophrenia can actually, that can dial up for them. And I suppose we haven't really looked Absolutely. at neurodivergency that closely, but possibly it could, as we're saying, it can dial up too. So we we could have multiple things going on, which need to, as you said, be handled by experienced people. Good clinicians that are experts in it. Uh, there are some psychiatrists that, that don't um, don't aren't experts in neurodiversity, um, and there are some that are fully into it. So you have to find the right professional. Same with um, gynecologists. Some gynecologists are well into premenstrual exacerbation and the hormonal effects on um, ADHD medication because hormone, hormones affect the way ADHD medications are metabolized as well. So uh, there are certain psychiatrists that are very good at this stuff and they know to dial up the ADHD medications premenstrually or perimenopausally. But there has to, it's a very fine line. So you know, they, they have to know what they're doing and it's individual for every person. Wow. Too. So, I mean, it, it is it is really like having a matrix. When I'm listening to you saying this, there's self-care and knowledge, there's having knowledgeable clinicians. And am I right? There's a little bit of sort of feeling your way too and working out what works for you. There is, because everyone's an individual and every brain is an individual brain and every hormone is an individual hormone. So, you know, we're a collection as we're some of our part when yeah, we've got life experience too. There's, you know, we've had our traumas through the past. Yeah. If you're a, a neurodivergent who's grown up uh, without knowing you're neurodivergent, you're automatically have been traumatized through your life. So even if you haven't really had a specific like trauma event, you, you have been traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're just learning. So creating you know, go ahead, Chelsea. Yeah. Sorry, created a, a neurodivergent friendly life or uh, an ADHD friendly life is is paramount. You've got to, rather than work yourself into your life, you've got to work your life around yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're learning that things like trauma, as we, we were just talking about there, is playing such a big role in women's perimenopause. And obviously, as you said, if you've grown up without any support or understanding with respect that you are neurodivergent, you are likely to be more traumatized. And you're likely to have neurodivergent parents as well who didn't know what they were doing either. 
And so, you know, through that, there's been family disruptions and, and things that you haven't understood until now. And, you know, it's, it's somebody said, I can't remember quite who, you, you, you could only live life forwards, but understand it backwards. Yeah. Yeah. Danish, but I can't remember. <laughs> but um, it's true. You can, you can only live life forwards. And, you know, it's, when you have that lens on, when you have that, um, you know, clearer lens on of, of what is happening for you, who you are, that you can understand what's happened throughout your life. You know, it makes sense now that why I was the class clown, why I got my report written on that I was, you know, over talkative or staring out the window or, or whatever it is that, you know, that person saw at me at that moment. And it's not that I was a failure. I had uh, an issue with my brain. I, school is never geared up to people like us. Um, the world isn't geared up to people like us. Uh, it's not. It's it's very neurotypical world out there. Yeah. And yet so many people are neurodivergent and somewhere on the spectrum, which is, is, is the challenge, I think. The challenge is the way people see it, the way people view it. People view neurodivergency as a mental health issue. I had this on my LinkedIn yesterday. Somebody said, neurodiversity is a mental health issue. It's like, in fact, it's not no. at all. It's got nothing no. to do with mental health. You might have some you know, uh, co, co um, uh, things that go alongside yeah. it. You might have anxiety and depression that goes alongside being autistic or or ADHD, but it's it's not a mental health no, disorder. No, that's a big message to take out for people. If your diagnosis is not a mental health disorder, you're just your brain is just different. And neurotypical people can equally have depression and anxiety. That's right. And it just looks slightly different yeah. for them. So where, whereas a menopause would look different for us as well. So whereas you know, the average person might be able to get away with the hot flashes and the light changes. That would be very problematic for me uh, with my sensory sensitivities. And, you know, I, I have, uh, I wear um, uh, earplugs a lot of the time if I go out because um, the noise just gets to me. And I've noticed that's exacerbated, you know, since I hit a certain age, the noise has gotten louder. Um, so I, I, I wear my um I don't know if I could say it, my both quiet comfort on silent a lot of the time, especially around my kids. I've got young yeah. kids. And I think that that's true. And we recognize huh? that you're sensitive also to things like taste. And we know that hormones can create metal tastes in our mouth, as well as we're having hot flushes, tinnitus, all this stuff going on. Oh, this light is terrible. I that at the moment. And when you're sensory sensitive and, you know, there's this constant noise around, there are some good apps for that. Just top tip. There's some good apps for tonight. There are. That work quite well. Oh. Noise. But one of the questions that then I would say, Shazi, is if someone thinks, gosh, I may be neurodivergent, what kind of steps do they need to take from going from finding out and what do they do after they found out? Maybe summarize that for the listeners a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a bit of a journey. A lot of people are self-diagnosed, and that is perfectly acceptable in the in the neuro, neurodiverse world. We accept other people from that because it's very hard to get diagnosis and expensive to get diagnosis. <clears throat> in Australia, where I live, um, 
you can get a diagnosis through our psychologist who specializes in neurodevelopmental disorders, or you can go to a psychiatrist um, as an adult. In England, they have specific clinics for ADHD. Um, again, it's psychology and psychiatry. Um, and I think the rest of the world is pretty yeah. similar. Yeah. You can either go psychology or psychiatry. Psychiatry if you, if mainly if you want to be medicated, so don't expect any therapy there. Psychology if you need counselling, um, but don't expect any medication there. So you, you're going to need like a, a collection of both. And there's me, clinical nurse consultant. There's lots of clinical nurses out there that specialise in this kind of thing as well. And some of us can prescribe, some of us can't but we can point you in the right direction and give you a starter and go through the journey a bit with you, holding your hand. And that's what I do. I hold people's hand through the beginning part of the journey, pointing them into the right directions and the, the uh, supports that are out there because there are supports That's out there. wonderful. And I think that's probably to the listeners. Find out where you can get diagnosed if you think it's you and make sure you have the support you need to go through this, this journey. Because it's quite a journey from what I hear. Sometimes women wait a very long time to get a diagnosis. Yes, I just had uh, somebody in their 80s diagnosed, um, which, I, which, I, which is the oldest I've, I've actually seen so far. So an 85-year-old was just diagnosed um, with yeah. autism. So that, that, that was an interesting one for me. But yeah, I'm seeing more and more 30-year-olds diagnosed. I, I actually... Um, actually had a really interesting conversation the other day um my children have a birthday had their birthdays a couple of weekends ago and they had a birthday party and i don't actually socialize much so i hate social occasions but i went along to his birthday party and my children are both adhd and autistic so they brought four friends who are adhd autistic neurodiversity um attracts neurodiversity and their parents were also adhd autistics and we had them most brilliant time and conversation um it was fascinating because you know neurodivergence can talk to neurodivergence very easily we we don't have any communication um differences when we talk to each other when we talk to neurotypicals it gets a little bit more complicated it's like speaking french to an italian you know and then trying to speak back again there's communication issues all over the place um as an autistic i'm a very honest straightforward person i say it how it is um and I look at body language a lot, whereas neurotypicals don't tend to do that. So I, I can tell very quickly if somebody's just like being nice to me or bored with my conversation, you know, I get that really quickly. And that kind of puts me off. And I don't do small talk at all. Small talk really irritates me. And a lot, a lot of social functions involve small talk. And it's always excruciating, painful thing for me to do, especially when I'm menopausal. Because my brain is not functioning in any way. And most of these things are in the evening when you're at your worst and you have to try and think of something to talk about. Oh my goodness, Shazi, you just described my husband. <laughs> he still doesn't do small talk at all. And he just says what he thinks. It comes straight out at you. <laughs> well, maybe you're married to a I new think I, no, I, I think I, I am. am. Well, that was, Shazi, you've just shined so much light on this subject that is now gaining conversation and traction. And I'm so grateful that you came, agreed to come here on Thriving Through Menopause and talk a snapshot of what it is and how women who may suspect they are neurodivergent can begin a journey to 
being able to live well with this. I'm so grateful that you're opening up the conversation because it's a very important conversation to have. A lot of the women are very unaware of what is happening to them and their bodies and brains and have been unaware that they're neurodivergent up until that moment that either they have a child who's diagnosed or somebody else says to them, because I have, um, uh, we call it neurodivergent doll because we, we can tell. Somebody might say to them, have you ever thought about ADHD? And they go, ah, look it up, go, hey, that's me. And there's an aha moment there for them. And it's a relief in a way to be able to set, put a name to what's been happening to you your whole life and what's suddenly gotten worse for you. And to know that there's help out there and there's management out there and there's medication out there, if you want it, and ways to deal with it. That is beautiful. Shazi, if people wanted to get in touch with you and learn more about what you do, how can they do that? Um, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I write a lot about this kind of stuff, which yes. is how we met. Um, but I also have a website, www.positivelyliving.com.au. And all my details are on That's there. That's huge. But um, yeah, I, I see people all over the world except America and Canada because the insurance is ridiculous. Indeed. <laughs> so we'll put that in the show notes and people can then reach out and connect with you. We have a lot of audience in Australia, so... That that's and UK, so that's really good. There's also in Australia. There's also the Australian Menopausal Society, yeah. um, which people can get in touch with if they need. There are some articles that I have. I might send you them that you can put them in the links to the show notes as well. That tell you a bit more about autism and ADHD and their, the relevance to menopause. Fantastic. We will definitely do that and that and share those because I think that's such an important conversation. Shazi. Thank you for being here and for your insight and knowledge in this area. It's so valuable and important. Thanks so much for having me. It's lovely meeting you.